if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? My friends, that's the question I did not ask yesterday, but I sure wish I had. The encounter was in a local store, but the problem is universal, and it is something that you will run into unless you live under a rock. Welcome. Hello, world. This is Roger Corville, and this is for the Hope's Always Be Ready segment, where we supplement our daily Bible read-through with a short exploration of an idea that relates to us thinking more biblically and living more effectively as Sunday morning touches down on Monday morning. Now, I'm going to change the details to totally protect the identity of the person that I was speaking with, just in case he or she happens to listen to this. But I was in this local store yesterday, and I was prompted by the Holy Spirit to press into conversation with this delightful person who was my checker. Sadly, What I heard was about how both of this person's parents died fighting desperately to hold on to life. Indeed, my friends, fear of death has been part of the human experience as long as there have been humans. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just going to leave it right there, but I learned that this person had a relative who was into the whole Jesus thing, and I wished that I had asked the question, If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? My friends, that is a great question to ask. Don't forget that question. And it comes to mind today, and not just because of the moment yesterday, but because of what we read in in Romans today. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20 says, Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. My friends, why do we fear death? Because there is something inside of us, whether we confess it as true or we suppress that truth, There's something inside of us that knows that we are morally culpable. I mean, we don't live up to the moral standard of a perfect good God, but my friends, we don't even live up to the standards we have for ourselves. I bring this up because one way that you will experience this in conversation gets expressed in the phrase, God is love. Like there's no way that a good, loving God would hold people accountable for their sinful actions. In fact, uh, sometimes Jesus' own words in the book of John are used. They're pretty famous. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now catch this. The very next verse says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, that's Jesus' own words, right? That's the Jesus we know and love, right? But today in Romans, we heard about God's what? His wrath? Well, his wrath, biblically speaking, means his right response to the violation of his goodness and love. My friends, how do we reconcile that with the truth that God is love or that Jesus' example is to love people. He tells us to go love people, even our enemies. Well, let's continue in the book of John, right after those very famous words, Jesus' own words, 
that he, you know, that he came to save and not condemn. Here's what Jesus says. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So did you catch that? Jesus doesn't condemn because he doesn't have to. People are condemned already. And what did we read in the book of Romans? People knew God's eternal power and his divine nature, his, his, his nature in a way that helps, helps us know that who he is, but who we are in relation to him, right? People knew, yet they reject him. So my friends, what does that mean for us? Yes, we are to love like Jesus. But Jesus' love wasn't a function of ignoring right and wrong, nor did his love ignore the consequences of rejecting God and or him, right? One and the same. Jesus' incarnation, right? Jesus came to earth to bring grace. But his second coming will be as judge. John chapter 5 says that he has been given all the authority to judge and revelation 20 says he will do so right we like the jesus of love but we don't like the jesus of judgment well we got to kind of read the whole bible my friends what is the most loving thing that we can do if we are to be like jesus in the time that he was on earth in the first incarnation the most loving thing we can do is to recognize that every person has an eternal destiny and engage them with something that points them to their way of changing that eternal destiny. So, as Jesus has said, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. My friends, we literally are part of being lifesavers. Well, the good news in the story yesterday is that I did obey the Holy Spirit and ask questions and press in. I literally asked a question like, there was, don't you think it's possible to have certainty about peace with death? The bad news is that in retrospect, I could have asked an even better question. If Christianity were true, would you trust Jesus and become a Christian? I love you, my friends. Amen. Amen.